Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm Keith Poston. The term fake news was declared the official Collins Dictionary Word of the Year for 2017. It has also become one of President Trump's favorite put-downs. With technology and social media becoming nearly a ubiquitous part of our children's lives, we talked to two researchers about what parents and educators need to know to help students navigate this new media landscape. Also on this week's show, we'll introduce you to North Carolina's new poet laureate, Jackie Shelton Green. Before we tackle our main topic, we open with headlines, a quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. The North Carolina School Boards Association, along with 20 different school boards, filed a complaint in Superior Court this week against more than a dozen state officials. The longstanding case involves the state's failure to comply with a 2008 court order to pay nearly $750 million to public schools. Now, according to the state Supreme Court, the state constitution clearly says that public schools are entitled to civil penalties collected by state agencies. The courts determined that between 1996 and 2005, hundreds of millions of dollars that should have been paid to local school districts for technology were diverted to other purposes. So far in 10 years, only 18 million of the nearly 750 million has been paid back. The School Boards Association said that on behalf of students all over the state, they are willing and eager to find a mutually beneficial resolution. Last week, State Superintendent Mark Johnson announced a reorganization of the Department of Public Instruction. DPI now has four deputy superintendents instead of just one. One of the new deputy superintendents is Dr. Eric Hall, who will serve as Deputy Superintendent of Innovation. Eric Hall was hired last year to lead the new Innovative School District and will now oversee six divisions within DPI, including charter schools, federal programs, and curriculum and instruction. Finally, more drama with the UNC Board of Governors, this time over the search for a new chancellor of Western Carolina. Wilmington lobbyist and former mayor, Raleigh Mayor Tom Fetzer, was accused by several board members of inappropriately engaging in the search process by launching a background check on one of the candidates. A campus search committee had spent months reviewing candidates and President Spellings had recommended one of them be hired. That candidate has now withdrawn and the Board of Governors said they are reviewing the overall hiring process. Remember, you can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and read more about each of the headlines as well as other topics we cover each week. As I said at the top of the show, today we're going to talk about fake news, social media, and what we need to know about our children's online habits. And joining us to talk about it are two professors and researchers from NC State University. We have Dr. Ad we have Dr. Adria Ship Dunbar. Dr. Dunbar is an assistant professor in the College of Education, and next to her is Dr. Megan Manfra. She is an associate professor, also College of Education at NC State. So thank you both for being here. Thanks for having. All right, fake news. We can't right. get away from we can't get away from hearing that term on the real news or right. whatever the real news is, right? So right. Um, I want to start with you, um, uh, Megan. Sort of tell me a little bit about sort of this sort of cultural phenomenon right. that we sort of now has become this term fake news. Yeah, in many ways, fake news has become the headline. So as you mentioned, it was the word of the year in 2017, really because of the impact it had in the 2016 presidential election. So since that time, we've been really trying to um, 
figure out, you know, the impact not only on that election, but in general on our political and civic life. And I think part of why it's so significant today is just the way um, it's been industrialized. So we see so much of it being produced like never before. It has a real partisan edge and also it can spread so rapidly. When you say industrialized, what do you mean, what do you mean by that? Yeah, uh, so I mean, there, um, people are producing fake news on their websites to generate ad revenue. And so one of the big things that happened after the election, a lot of the big tech companies like Google and Facebook have returned to their policies to try to think about ways to limit the money people can make off of fake news. Right. Now, Adrian, I want to uh, talk to you about one of the reasons why we wanted to talk about on the show was uh, this is a show about education and um, uh, teenagers particularly, but really children uh, starting at a very young age are online um, almost all the time. Sort of what um, I think you're, a lot of the focus of your research is not just about fake news and also learning, but uh, what you call digital health. Yeah. Um, so the work that I do focusing on adolescents is, you know, they are not only trying to be online at all times, but with things like one-to-one -one initiatives in schools and um, social media, online is reaching adolescents pretty constantly. Mm -hmm. um, so how, what is digital health? We've talked about health for years. Um, and kind of going along with that is this idea of digital citizenship and critical thinking and how we act and kind of our moral and ethical behaviors online. So it's, it's all interconnected. But right. it, And we just pulled up on the screen, by the way, we've, we've got a, a chart that's showing mm -hmm. sort of how much teens are online. So we right. talk about the difference, um, you know, between, you know, uh, really just in the last five years, how much of a difference is in terms of being on, on almost constantly. Right. Yeah. 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 So. And being accessible constantly. Right, and so, so what does that mean for what we're teaching kids in schools? Or what does that mean about what we're teaching kids at home? Their parents, and what are we modeling for kids right. with so, technology? Yeah, so, so, so when you talk about, we're talking about teaching them, we started talking about fake news. I'm, I'm hearing a couple of different things. One is, I think, being a better consumer or understanding mm -hmm. sort of, you know, how to critically think about uh, what you see, but also just about just the overall usage, maybe screen time, maybe that's right. what the term the parents mm -hmm. say. Where, where, sort of, where, where does that come in? How do you balance those things, Megan? Right, so um, we talk a lot about media literacy, which I think think you were referencing there when you talk about the actual skills that students need to develop when they're online. For instance, to go visit the About Us page to understand who's produced the site. But then also I think um, what Adria is referring to as well is that we can't shirk our responsibilities as educators to teach students how to go through or use social media. So sometimes schools will ban social media and things like that. but. Um, in that way, we're really um, kind of giving up our responsibility to help them become good citizens and use that. Um, right. I mean, it's, it's funny you mentioned about banning social media. And I know there's some that block certain mm -hmm. stuff, but I mean, it almost now seems kind of. I mean, it's in, it's, it's rapidly changed. I mean, right. I've got a teenager, but just in a few years, she was in from middle school to high school. The idea of one, you can't bring any devices to school. Mm -hmm. To yeah. now, like, bring your own device right. because almost everything we're going to do. I mean, that's um, that's right. changed, right? Yeah, and. I mean, yeah, with social media, I mean, I don't even know that kids are thinking about it as social media right. the way right. that we think about That's it. Right. It's their Facebook, it's their Instagram, it's their Instagram, it's their Facebook, it's their, you know, but the, they all have them, but they don't think about it like yeah, social media. Yeah, I found out about media. Instagram a couple of years ago. <laughs> if, if viewers don't know that you know, a lot of time you may, maybe uh, your right. child lets you follow their Instagram, mm -hmm. but you, they may have another one right. that you don't know about. Yeah, and what's interesting is some people are, some adolescents are talking about that as a means for digital health. 
because their Instagram is one that, you know, we've talked about popularity and that's the one that's out there for all the likes and all the comments and the pictures, but that's overwhelming to teenagers, to adolescents. So they, so in some ways their Finsta is not necessarily always to be underground with their parents, but that's their smaller circle. That's how they wow. can kind of limit the back and forth and the pings and the notifications that they're getting all the time and to sort out what matters and what right. doesn't matter. Yeah, we're just showing on screen right now the, the most unused platform. It's funny, we talk about Twitter all the time. Mm -hmm. Again, we talk about President Trump, but right. that's actually among teens is actually the lowest right. uh, used. Uh, YouTube, huge. Yeah. Instagram, huge. Those yeah. are really the big ones, right? Right, yeah. And, and if these are sources for information, it's kind of interesting to think about who's producing them and how they're being produced and what kind of messages teens are receiving. All right, so what do we, I mean, I guess, first of all, let's get to, so what's the problem that, I mean, what do we need to be aware of yeah. and then what are some potential things, solutions for parents and teachers? Well, I think that um, from a social studies perspective, I think bringing this into the classroom is important. So we need to support teachers. Sometimes they're afraid to bring in these issues. They're controversial. We know when we talk to social studies teachers, for example, they were wary of teaching about the election in the first place. But it is a good opportunity to model really healthy sort of civic discourse and then to also teach some of these civic online reasoning strategies like laterally reading on the websites, um, so look, seeking out contradictory information and things. So. And from a digital health perspective, what yeah. do you think about? Um, I think reflection. We set a lot of rules with technology both in schools and in homes and that's helpful to some yeah. degree, but I think um, adolescents and students of all ages really need to be thinking and self-reflecting on how they're using these sites and how they are thinking about what they're reading, how, what that means to them. So instead of just having kind of the, you know, law of the land, um, I think we need to really push them to, to reflect on that comment that they made or a comment that was made on their page or something that they read online um, and having deeper conversations. Mm -hmm. Does it... Um yeah. Is there a, a connection with, with digital and like uh, things like anxiety, stress? Oh yeah. yeah, anxiety, stress, depression. We know that they're all on the rise. Suicidal ideation, that FOMO, fear of missing out. Yeah. Uh, it's real. And especially for this next generation who's come up with where technology has always been a part of their lives. Um, it's having a huge impact on their mental right. health. Last word from you. Well, I just think that one of the important um, strategies here is to address it, to acknowledge it. I don't think that we've um, really dug in with students and, and let them know that we understand what they're going through and that we want to work with them. Right. And, and I guess, and, and probably try to model some good behavior yeah. ourselves. I'm going right. to try to work on that yeah. too. So, look, thank you yeah. so much for thank being you. here. Uh, interesting topics. You, we'll, have some, we'll have some links on our website for viewers who want to learn more about your work and also some great resources from Pew Research. So thanks great. so much. Thank you. When we come back, you're going to meet North Carolina's Poet Laureate. But before we go to break, see if you can answer this question. True or false, lower income teens are more likely to gravitate toward Facebook than those from higher income households. Welcome back to Education Matters. Did you correctly answer true? According to the Pew Research Center, teen, teens tend to use similar platforms regardless of their demographic characteristics, except when it comes to Facebook. Seven in 10 teens living in households earning less than $30,000 a year say they use Facebook, compared with only 36% of those whose annual family income is $75,000 or more. 
Did you know that North Carolina has a poet laureate? Or I already learned something from Jackie a minute ago. I was mispronouncing a poet laureate. She, the first one was appointed in 1948, and our most recent one, Jackie Shelton Green, is joining us here today. So, so congratulations on this high honor bestowed upon you by the governor of North Carolina. Thank you. Uh, I'm Honored. Well, you know, and now I got to, when I, I, I looked up to see what the, about the, the history of Poet Laureates, and I did notice that, um, you know, it used to be a lifetime appointment. So um, you didn't get that, but you still got the, uh, it's, I think now, I think Governor Hunt changed it to a two-year appointment. So tell us, I guess, first of all, what is, um, what is the role of a state Poet Laureate? The role of the Poet Laureate basically is to be an ambassador for literature and literacy across the state. So in my role, I will travel across the state interacting with libraries and public school systems and universities and many community centers and community-based organizations encouraging and expanding literature okay. and the literary arts. And now you were, um, I mean, uh, in, in your uh, in the announcement, I mean, you're already one of the state's sort of most acclaimed poets. I mean, you've been writing and, and, and celebrated. You're in the... Uh, the North Carolina Literary Hall of Fame. Uh, you got the North Carolina Award for Literature. How did you, um, you grew up, we were just talking, but we're both native North Carolinians. Yes. You're from um, Eflin, Orange County? Yes, I grew up in rural northern Orange County, and uh, I was welcomed into a wonderful family of educators. So literacy and literature were always available to me as a child. And as a child who was pretty precocious and really obsessed with nature and being alone, poetry was the vehicle for me. Poetry was my world. And I saw poetry, heard poetry, felt poetry in everything in my environment. And so yeah, it sounds like that you, you said you were born into a family of educators. So obviously the, the, your, your parents, uh, grandparents, uh, that, was a, that was a big part of it. Uh, I assume you must have had some, um, some teachers who uh, encouraged you along the way too. Yes, I also grew up during segregation, so yes. um, reading, writing, literacy was very, very valued. There was never a question of, will you go to college? The question was always, where will you go to college? So given that, my grandmother's grandmother, um, the story of her life really encouraged me as a, and is a framework that I stand on in terms of being able to be in a position to tell the stories and help people to understand that our poetry really is deeply embedded in story right. and to help North Carolinians dig out, um, excavate their own stories is what matters to me. Well, speaking of that own story, you are also the first um, African-American yes. um, poet laureate. Um, how important, well, I guess, first of all, how important is that to you, but also just how in, in terms of the, um, the black experience in America, in North Carolina, um, mm -hmm. is, is literature and writing and literacy. I mean, I think about, uh, you, know, our, our, um, you know, our history, you know, tragic history of slavery and things. Mm -hmm. The idea of teach, that was one of the things that I, I wrote, you always think about is um, mm -hmm. it was a crime to teach a slave to, right. to write and read, right? So, exactly. So it's powerful. It's very powerful, and I know that I that I stand broadly on the shoulders of those ancestors who made many sacrifices. But more importantly, I would like to think that I'm a reflection, that when young children, not only children of color, but that when all children look at me, I like to demystify this, this mystique that the artist, the writer, the dancer, the, the poet is something that they can't attain. 
So I encourage young children when I'm working with them to call themselves writers. It's very important. And yes, it's important as a woman of color, as an African-American woman in the South, the third woman appointed North Carolina Poet Laureate, to be able to have these platforms, these social platforms, where especially young black children see me and understand that I am them in this, in this role. I really like what you just said about um, calling yourself a writer because I think a lot of you're right that things like the arts, uh, dance, music, mm -hmm. people think, well, I was, I'm, I'm, I have a gift. Yeah. I mean, we all have gifts, right? right. But, but, but you're what, I think what your point would be is that all, all children can become accomplished writers. That's right. Uh, can, can be poets because we, we have it within us. Yes, naming is powerful. And I don't want them to think that this is only a gift. It's about being headstrong to stick to what you know, uh, to identify with what you know in your stories, and to tell those stories, the power of utterance, and to give permissions to so many disenfranchised writers across the state and so many writers who have thousands of poems waiting to just burst forth. And I feel like that's my role, is to help them bring these new stories, these new voices to the platform. I'm 65 years old, and I'm not going to live forever. And I would like to think that there are young people like me who want to write. And so you're going to get a chance. This, this, this will be a, a, a cool platform for you to go. So you're going to get to go visit some schools. Some, some uh, uh, teachers may bring you in. You'll be able to talk to students. I mean, what, sort of how, does that, how does that work? How, how is that going to go? Well, right now I'm scheduled to be, oh my God. So in addition to teaching documentary That's poetry. That's right, I should have been, yeah, you also, yeah, you teach over at Duke University too. In yeah, addition, the exactly. polar is not, is not, is not your, right. your full-time paying gig. No, it's not. <laughs> but in addition to doing that, um, I will be working with public school systems and private school systems. They're on my calendar. Libraries, um, there'll be many conferences where I'll be conducting workshops, facilitating workshops. And in doing so, I also work with public school teachers. And one of the things I want to give a pitch for is Poetry Out Loud, which is a wonderful platform, a national platform for advancing the study of the craft of poetry. Poetry and Out Loud. Poetry Out Loud. OK, we'll share that on our website yes. so people can find it. So last, um, I guess just as, as in, sort of in conclusion, what would be you, the things that influence you, advice you would give to parents? and teachers about, yes. um, about this. To remember that poetry really does nurture emotional resiliency and it promotes community. And what's been very powerful for me is to witness how children build community through the making of poetry, through the making of poetics, and how their stories matter, and how they find out when they tell themselves stories and they tell each other stories that they do cross boundaries. And as far as I'm concerned, that's what the arts really should be, that incredible bridge that bridges humanity, my humanity to your humanity. So we celebrate our humanness, and we celebrate all the stories that make us who we are as a unified North Carolina Wonderful. citizenry. Thank you so much for joining us. Our viewers, look her up, Jackie Shelton Green. You are, you. you are a North Carolina treasure. You already were, and um, we're honored to have you on the show today. Thank so you thanks so much. So much. After the break, this week's Leadership Spotlight.
Each week, Education Matters spotlights individuals demonstrating exceptional leadership in education in North Carolina based on nominations from you, our viewers. This week, we spotlight the superintendent of Greene County, Patrick Miller. Leadership Spotlight is brought to you by Participate, where we believe every student deserves equitable access to quality education. Greene County Schools is a small, rural, low-wealth school district located in eastern North Carolina. We have just under 3,100 students. We are able to do a lot of things here with very little resources. We are one of the more advanced districts when it comes to technology. We partnered with Apple, garnered this community support, county commissioners, local government. Some folks say we were on the cutting edge in 2003. I think that technology foundation allowed us to get ahead. Dr. Houston asked me and Greene County Schools to join in and a grant attempt that provided some serious hardcore uh, professional development in science for our teachers in grades K through 8 and I credit that initiative along with a blended STEM pilot that we did with North Carolina Virtual Public Schools for laying the foundation for what was to become our STEM program. So we got a digital showcase grant this past year that allowed us to ramp up some homegrown professional development and then we applied for the DLI Innovation Academy grant and they gave four out and we we were one of the four. The Successful Practices Network partnered with the American Association for School Administrators along with Houghton Mifflin Harcourt to identify 25 districts in the country that uh, they called Innovative Best Practices Districts and Green was one of those. We're really proud of being recognized as, as innovative. You know, not necessarily high performing, but innovative in what we do to try to get our kids up to that level. We had two schools, Green Central High School and Green County Middle School, that were identified as being in the bottom 5% of the state. And today those schools are STEM model schools of distinction. If you know someone that deserves to be recognized, please visit our website, ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and you'll find a link to nominate someone in your community. After the break, this week's final word. Before 2016, the term fake news was reserved for phony news stories created intentionally to deceive readers into believing they were real. They were pushed out, often using real-sounding news organization names like the Denver Guardian or the Political Insider. By election year 2016, however, purveyors of fake news have become much more sophisticated and targeted than the comical grocery store checkout line tabloid headlines we've been seeing for years. So much so, so that the Pew Research uh, Organization found that nearly one in four Americans visited a fake news site in the month leading up to the 2016 presidential election. One in four. Besides the proliferation of fake news, we've also seen the growth of online bullying as well as recruiting efforts by hate groups that prey on society's most disaffected and vulnerable youth. 
Now in the Pew Research Center survey of, turn of teenagers we discussed earlier, even though nearly all of them said they used social media extensively, about one quarter said they thought the impact of social media on their peer group was mostly negative. Now I personally love technology and I believe advances have made us more informed and our lives more efficient. It's also connected us with friends, family and people and places around the globe unimaginable 20 years ago. But there are downsides too. The challenge now will be figuring out how to harness this power for good. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for watching and we'll and make sure you tune in next week for a new Education Matters. <laughs>